the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And now a word from one of our Bible Live sponsors. Our company is so proud and excited to sponsor the Bible Live. As a businessman, I have to make decisions every day about how to best invest time, personnel, and resources for the best return and results. The scriptures say there are two things on earth that will last forever, God's Word and the souls of people. It's my hope that you, your family, your church, and perhaps even your business will pray about giving a tax-deductible donation to the Bible Live at this time. Together, let's expand this historic broadcast of the scriptures to other cities across our nation. A sound investment for both time and eternity. You can donate by credit card at the Bible Live website, www.thebiblelive.com or mail your check for the Bible Live to P.O. Box 18888. That's P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas 78218. Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. So we will ask questions for the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of The Bible Live, your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Soapy Dollar. I'm hoping you will join us. We'd love to have you call in and be a part of the next 90 minutes of the program, The Bible Live, the quiz show. And um, let me... I'm, Still pulling a few things together. Jacob has been uh, just excitedly talking to me about some of the questions we have for you tonight, um, this evening, uh, that we want to uh, address. And they are very, very, very interesting. We're going to pick up some of the passages from the book of Acts that we finished reading, I guess, what, um, maybe a week or so ago. And we moved back into the Hebrew Scriptures, back into the books of the Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles. And um, so, and by the way, look, we're working. I, I, I'm really working and thinking about this. I've been to, for the longest time. I'm I'm slow to the, get this done, but I want to get our um, intro to the program changed to introduce Jacob from the very beginning to know that uh, this is a very interesting, unique program in the sense not that we just focus on the scriptures. That's that's been part of our identity from the very beginning. Uh, the Bible itself, you know, not talking about the Bible, but just really focusing on the words, the the book itself, what it says, and for us as believers. And uh, Jacob has this incredible role. He started out early, early on, calling in, and and then actually he became so popular as a caller that people said, well, I wish Jacob could, because he's here to help us out with that perspective that uh, the Hebrew language, culture, traditions, history, the historical perspective of the, of the passages, both Old and New Testament, and it is so enriching. So it's a it's a real 
Uh, it really is a joy, a thrill, a privilege, and um, a blessing to have Jacob along with me and uh, together looking through this book, because that's what's important. What what does this book say? Now, we don't always agree on every detail. We have a different perspective of some of the passages, but it's so very interesting how that uh, how enriching it is to get that background. Uh, and uh, I'm not sure how often, Jacob, we disagree. I, uh, usually, it's, sometimes it's not actually a disagreement. It's just an added perspective of of what a passage means, you know. Uh, and and one of the things you're going to talk to us about today is you're going to you're going to talk to us about one of these passages, uh, particularly when it's uh, talking about David and Solomon and David uh, the Solomon's prayer of dedication when the temple was uh, built and finished. The construction was done and finished, and they had the the dedication ceremony for the temple. Uh, Solomon, in his prayer there, uh, mentioned something, and and you uh, relate it to the Hebrew to what it really means. You relate it to the promise God gave to David, and then also we jump over in the New Testament, and you relate it to something that Paul explains about the life of Messiah, which is. All, all very, very, very interesting. That, it's a perspective I had not heard of or thought of. I think I've, when you told me about the passages, Jacob, I do remember them, and I remember the wording, particularly the idea of today. And what is it when G, what was it when Jesus says, uh, Paul says, uh, "Today well, you well, are crowned." I, I don't think I ho- you shouldn't take away from yourself. When I was doing these questions during the day. And looking up things, I said, wow, Soapy picked great questions. Look what he did here. <laughs> I'm just so brilliant. But, yeah. but I wish it were intentional. Uh, well, and maybe it, to it some was degree spiritually it was, intentional. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's someone's intention. I, I, I'm trusting the Lord led us in some of these. But I am intrigued yeah. by that. I, I'm, I, I'm really eager for you to explain it and get us over, well, get us I, into I read, it. Well, I, I read some of these ancient Christian writings, and I said, man, and then I went back and I actually looked at the passages and I thought, you know what? Soapy really knew what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it's one of the few times that uh, let's go get one of our listeners on the line with us early on. We haven't even uh, given any questions or anything like that. But that's Bob okay. is on the line. He'll ask you a question. And I'd love to hear from Bob. How you doing, friend? I'm doing fine. Uh, I have a question for Soapy, I guess it is. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh huh. I come from a Christian background that believes in the Trinity. Uh, to whom should one pray? God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit? <laughs> you mean God the Father, God the Son, or God the Spirit, right? Yes. Uh, I Correct. understand yes. exactly. I, I, I will tell you, I don't know. Jesus said when you pray, our Father who art in heaven and so on, uh, we come to the Father in the name, by the merits of, and by the you know the redemptive work, that's how we can enter boldly into the throne room of God. I, I, I think, person did isn't Stephen the first uh, Christian martyr? Uh, didn't he pray? Uh, it looked him. Oh, oh, there it is. Didn't he pray in the Book of Acts? Didn't yeah, he call so out to a, Jesus? If memory serves, from peeking in the window, if uh-huh. you know what I mean, uh, I believe it was in the. Uh, Number X, uh, number seven, is it seven or eight? Seven yeah, X seven. You're right. Uh, so I, I, I would say, Bob, myself, each are persons of deity. Or each are persons of the Godhead, uh, co-equal. There's not one superior to the other, or more powerful, or above the other. They, they only compete in the measure to which they try to 
applaud and praise the other. You know, Jesus praising the Father and the Father praising the Son. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And the, and the Son praising the Spirit, predicting the coming of the Comforter. And He will speak of me and the Spirit, you know, praising and, and, and exalting the Son and so on. So in my view of the Trinity, they are co-equal, each with all the attributes of deity, each with all the characteristics of personhood. And so I, I, I think we can pray to uh, any of them, the, 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 uh, either of the, any of the three persons of the Godhead. And uh, I think uh, from the redemptive plan, we pray to the Father in the name of the Son by the urging and guidance of the Spirit. Um, but I don't know. What do you think? Is, do you think there is a, a particular actual formula that we should one way or not another? Well, my understanding, are you asking me? Yes, uh uh-huh. Yeah, what do you think? Uh, Well, the way I understood the Trinity uh, growing up as a child or as an adult was uh, that uh, there was God, and God showed us who he was by the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Uh Uh-huh. And the Holy Spirit is just God's uh, transmission to us, or God's uh, an avenue to uh, of communication with God. But I know that that's probably contrary to most Christian thought. But oh, I don't know that it's contrary. I I think Bob that most most Christians, to be to be very honest, what I've what I've noticed through the years now of, of ministering and talking and helping explain and so on, most Christians don't don't really. Well, I, I feel bad saying this. Don't really get it in the sense of comprehend it, and I'm not sure I do in that sense. The the, the mystery of the Godhood, Godhead, and the, the the oneness, the unity in the Godhead, but at the same time, the plurality of the Godhead is a is something that has mystified people, you know, for many many centuries. And frankly, it causes some problems in the sense of well, are we polytheists? Do we believe in three? different gods, you know, in that sense, or are we indeed uh, monotheists, uh, one true and living God? And I, I think what helps, I, what has helped me, I'll just share this with you, is that the 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 answer or the solution to the oneness of the Godhead in, in the context of plurality, in other words, they are, uh, in the Bible, each of the three persons of the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit— each of them are attributed. We show that each of them have all the characteristics of personhood, intellect, emotion, and will, independent will. And we see that, you know, the, the father, the son, each of them is a person. They're not, it's not just an impersonal force or kind of a green vapor that fills the room or an emotional thing. That each of them, each of the, um, these persons of the Godhead are indeed, in the first place, persons, distinct persons. And yet they are so perfectly united in their love for each other, in their character, in their intent, their purpose, and in their action that we can rightly and truly know them as one. In other words, the the miracle of the Trinity is not a miracle of science, you know, physics or chemistry or biology. It's a miracle of relationship. They are they are truly one in every way. They're, they're, there's a bond of oneness and unity, they, they, and perfect harmony between them, relational harmony. And between them, so that we are accurate and correct in in when we say, Hero Israel, the Lord your God is one. There's one true and living God, 
Uh, and yet we have this at the core of the Godhead, at the core of the deity, is relationship, which is really exciting because one of the things that makes us as unique as as human beings is that we are relational beings. We are created for society, for relationship, uh, and we long for uh, oneness and, and harmony in all of our relationships. And, of course, that is part of what is being fulfilled through the redemptive plan of God. According to John chapter 17, we, by the redemptive plan of God, we are not only forgiven and cleansed and the Spirit transforming us, but the net result was that, is that we are being brought into that oneness relationship of the Godhead. Jesus said, "Lord, let the, Father, let them be one even as you and I have been one from, from eternity past. Let them enjoy that relationship. So we are being brought as God's people into that harmonious oneness relationship. It doesn't we're becoming God, but we are becoming into that oneness relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And uh, to enjoy relate that relationship with God for eternity and with each other as the people of God. So it, it's really exciting in the way because the Trinity, uh, it gives a solution to what the Trinity means. It's relational, not you know scientific or physical. And yeah. that... It has a practical outworking for us as believers because we, as human beings, we long for oneness in our marriages, in our parents and children, in all of our relationships of life and, of course, with God. And this, the Trinity kind of speaks of, well, at the core of his being in the Godhead, there is relationship and that God, part of the redemptive plan is to heal us relationally, you know, make us right with God so that we can be with our God forever and with each other. Uh, I, I I don't know. I find it both explanatory. It, it explains and clarifies. It helps me because I can understand oneness of relationship. I long for it. I yeah. want it. It's not that I have it. I remember the preacher told me when Suzanne and I were married 45 years ago, he said at the end, he said, by the power vested in me, he said, the two of you now have become one. And I understand that. It, it wasn't a physics thing or biology, but... You know, the, we are now united in purpose. Our our destinies are put up together. We're going to face life together. There's this harmonious oneness. Now, I realize that after 45 years of marriage that we haven't quite attained that, that perfect ideal oneness. <laughs> but the idea of it, I long for. And I think that's what, to me, it seems like it's part of what the, uh, the, the Trinity addresses. It's that relational mm-hmm. harmony and oneness that, that God is bringing us into by his by his sal- plan of salvation, by his redemptive plan. May I interject one yes, thing, please Sophie? do. Uh, I heard you just say that the, your preacher at marriage, you said you are one, right? Yes. Have you decided which one? <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, Suzanne decides that. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Sounds, yeah. like, sounds like we've decided which one. <laughs> Well, anyway, that's I'm waxing a little theological and eloquent on you there, Bob. But at least that's a perspective that I found to be pretty satisfying about. uh, It doesn't fully, totally explain. I I don't know if we ever could fully explain and comprehend the 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 mystery of the oneness of the Godhead. But it but it helps. But in terms of your question, I think then in that sense, I've addressed in prayer the Spirit. You know, Holy Spirit. you know, fill me, take control. I, I trust in your presence in my life. Teach me, guide me. I've addressed the Son, Lord Jesus. I uh, thank you for your work on the cross. Your Father, I you know I need. I've I, I've addressed the three uh, persons of the Godhead at different times in prayer, and I I don't think they're jealous of each other or anything like that. I, I um, you know what's interesting to me, if I may interject, yeah, please. Uh-huh. The definition I'm hearing you describe, because you know that's 
That's not a, a Jewish thought. But in the description that Bob was saying is a little different. I mean, I understand they, they're coming out the same. But when Bob was saying, if I understand, if Bob, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. But I thought you were saying that you felt the Holy Spirit was what gets imbued into you. Is that correct, Bob? Correct, yes. Yeah. I that makes it easy for an outsider, perhaps, me mm-hmm. to understand. Yeah. Now, the Trinity in and of itself, Jacob, is not by itself a Christian idea, right? Or was it? Uh, you know, I've wanted to Google that for a long time, uh, and I keep having it in my mind to do I want to see, are there spots or references to, not to the Trinity, because the word Trinity is never used, but are there references to, to a plurality of God in the Old Testament that, that was real, that Hebrew people thought of? I know in Genesis it let us create man in our image, and I, and people sometimes say, well, that that's that's well, internal to the Godhead. Let that us would be a, a, certainly a Christian interpretation. Yes. Or, or God could be speaking of, in the royal sense, let us, or he could be speaking of, of himself and the angels, uh, perhaps I don't know, but sometimes that's spoken of. It, is is the Trinity there? Uh, triunism, Trinity. That's really in Jewish Jewish thought. That's really a kind of a foreign concept because, as you quoted Deuteronomy six four, God is one. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, He's one. I will tell you, Saint Augustine. You've heard of him? Mm-hmm. Okay, he's not, he doesn't live in Florida, um, but. Um, <coughs> The, uh, but he vacations there. I, well, I've he, heard. You know, he's got friends. <laughs> anyway, but so, but which point, would mean he's Jewish, right? The, <laughs> ah, that's funny. <laughs> no, <laughs> well, no, that would be Saint Augustine. My, you're referring to Miami. Okay, all right. Uh, but the point is, is that uh, Saint Augustine had an interesting take, trying to consolidate and reconcile the two phrases about three and one, and in Deuteronomy being one. Saint Augustine's take was uh, that. From heaven and below coming to earth, it's like an understanding of a, a, tri, a trinity, a split. But from heaven and above, it's only one. That was the way he attempted to explain it. And, hmm. but I, and so that may be right. It may not be right. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is. It is very hmm. interesting. Uh, uh, is, it, is it a projection of, is it a, uh, is it a uh, result, a product of revelation that's the way God has revealed himself. Or is there a real, uh, are there, do there exist these three distinct persons? Uh, when Jesus is praying to the Father, is he praying to himself? Or is he actually, when the Father says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, is he talking about himself? I did yeah, meet a guy whole... one time in a, in a, in a airport and i think he was a little troubled and he, and he was talking to himself and he said would you like a glass of wine he said no but thank you he's talking to himself. <laughs> uh, well, well we won't we won't think of of uh, god in those terms i don't think but uh, but anyway bob i that's probably some of the best well, i i i didn't think i thought the i thought the trinity was there and that well, there was some okay let's let's understanding let's be uh careful and clear yeah uh, Jewish thought does not un- conceive of a trinity. However, and like the us and our in Genesis 1 you're talking about, the Jewish take on that is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But um, but that's the Christian interpretation, which is fine. And, of course, they also interpret uh, Deuteronomy 6.4 about uh, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. And you see there's three verses there, God, Lord, one. So mm-hmm. they say, see, this yes. three. Okay. Now, but that's a Christian take. Uh, but 
What's interesting is, and I'm, I'm somewhat reluctant to say this, but there is a set of books called the Zohar. The Zohar. Uh, Don't mess with the Zohar, right? Is well, that the movie that, by... That, <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, that's, uh, that might be a little different. Uh, but, uh, but in the Zohar, believe it or not, there is a passage that I have sat and I've read, I don't know, 10, 20 times, because I'm thinking, boy, that sounds a lot like Christianity, the splitting of... And they use the word Godhead. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's interesting. But I'm not aware of mm-hmm. anything. I know officially the... I, the, the doctrine is that God is one. There's no way for mm-hmm. the Jews to be able to split it. Uh, but um, that doesn't mean that Christians can't. Maybe they got a way of doing it. Yeah, uh, of course, we have to affirm the oneness because we are not polytheists. We are uh, monotheists, uh, just like our... I mean, in some ways, Bob, I still think of myself. I, I remember telling a local rabbi this here. He asked me one time, because I'm Native American, Apache, and so on, he knew I loved the scriptures and I love God and all. He said, well, wh- how do you define yourself religiously? And I said, well, you might find it unusual, but I, I usually tell people I'm Jewish. <laughs> because, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. I, and, of course, totally a Gentile. But... Uh, Everything we have comes from Judaism. I mean, we worship Jehovah, the the God of the Israel. We we listen to the prophets. We revere the Word of God, the Torah, the laws of God, Moses, and even, even the Messiah is is Jewish, a Jewish concept and a Jewish. So, uh, in some ways, I'm not sure we're not all really just Jewish, uh, but I, I I do understand that we have a we as Gentiles we have a we have a different approach now to the scriptures because I, I don't know, maybe time has produced it, Jacob, but, but of course they had the same struggle, I guess, in the first century, right? This what this part of what divided at that time, how yeah, I think that's fair Christians, to say it was part of it. Yeah. They didn't see themselves at first as a different group, as a new religion. Actually, if you, when I read parts of the New Testament, I see them going to the Jewish synagogue. The right. Christians oh, yeah. all go there. Oh, we talked about it last week. Yeah. Paul went to take that oath and to that uh, vow, yeah. and so on. So there's a. Oh, and, and we'll, should, we'll, maybe say, one day we'll get it all straightened out, well, Bob. I, I do want to say, as far as the side goes, there's really technically no prohibition for any Jewish person to think anybody could be the Messiah. It gets sometimes uh, quizzical to think of him being Jesus because there's other aspects that has now been presented about him. Uh-huh. But uh, really, uh, anybody can think anybody as a Messiah. And, uh, that didn't, doesn't eliminate you or disqualify you no, from being Jewish. No, if you, yeah. no, no. I might think that, uh, that you're the Messiah. People would probably think I'm wrong, and maybe a little oh, trouble. A lot of people think you're right. I yeah, mean. well, that's true. And they're all at, they're all at, all the whole, every one of those things. And they're all in deep, <laughs> terrible trouble. Bob, yeah, thanks for calling in. Well, I appreciate well, thank it. Thank you very much for your explanation. Good to hear you, pal. Thanks for listening. Okay. All right, good to visit with Bob. And uh, you can call in as well during this next hour now, 340-9585. And we're going to put out some questions for you. Let me list a couple of questions from the Psalms. And then uh, when we come back from this break, Jacob is going to give us some questions from uh, the books of First and Second Chronicles. We went from chapter 25 of First Chronicles to chapter 18 in Second Chronicles. And uh, he'll give us those. Let me give you a couple of questions from Psalms 82 and 83. According to Psalm 82, there is a group of people that will definitely, you know, it singles them out and says they will definitely be judged by God. Who are 
these people? What is this group of people that will definitely be judged by God? You can find it in Psalm 82, verse 1. And I think it's very relevant to the times we live in. There's a lot of there's a lot of talk about uh, uh, this in our in our world today about the 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 system at work in our own country. So you can see that what group of people will definitely be judged by God. And then Psalm 83, uh, we have this question. Uh, the psalmist asked God to blow them away, quote unquote, or he says, please, God, chase them with fierce storms, terrify them, utterly disgrace them, make them failures in everything they do. <laughs> Boy, the psalmist really gets after it, and he asks God to really get after these people. Who are they in this passage? Who are the ones that the psalmist is asking God to blow them away, chase them with fierce storms, terrify them, utterly disgrace them, and make them failures in everything they do? Who are those people? So that's a couple of questions from the psalms. Um, I have another one, but I'm going to wait till a little bit later in the program. Do you want to give one question from the Chronicles? Why, sure. We've got about 15 seconds. Okay, real fast. Uh, it's uh, your number. Uh, your your number five. David received something directly from God and passed it on to Solomon. What was it? What was it? Hmm. That's my best British accent. Yeah, that's your best British accent. David received something directly from God and passed it on to Solomon. What was it? And that's found in First uh, First Chronicles twenty eight, nineteen. Mm-hmm. All right, there's one good question for you out there. Uh, we'll come back with a few more from the Chronicles. If you have an answer to any of those, give us a call three four zero ninety five eighty five. We have a few prizes to give away. We're giving them away in anticipation of the opening of Splashtown. So if you'd like to win some copies, uh, some tickets to Splashtown this summer, we'd love to give those to you for calling in. Don't go away. 340-9585. Dr. Stan Shelton with offices at Loop 410 and Broadway has taken care of the Dollar family that Suzanne and me plus our three children for the past 25 years. Suzanne, tell the folks about our dentist. Well, like you say, Dr. Shelton is a dentist for a lifetime. He's got the latest technology. He's busy, but I've never had to wait. And I never dread going to the dentist. In fact, he and his staff are so personable that I actually rather enjoy it. Go to DrShelton.com or call 590-7878. Nature's Factor carpet cleaning expert, Shayla James. What makes Nature's Factor better than the older carpet cleaning processes? Older systems saturate your carpet, leaving your space unusable, sometimes for up to a day because of their long dry times, plus leaving you with the risk of fungus and the dangerous chemicals left in your carpet. With Nature's Factor, our quick dry time makes your home or office space usable almost immediately, while our green solutions eliminate the possibility of fungus and are perfectly safe for your children and pets. Nature's Factor, carpet cleaning for the 21st century, 831-3535. If you lease office, retail, or warehouse space for your business, the last thing you want to do is overpay the landlord. But it happens every day. Hi, I'm Scott McMurray and president of Bottom Line Realty Advisors. We work with business people who want an effective strategy for their next real estate decision. Whether leasing or buying, it affects your bottom line. Your landlord has representation, and you should too. Even if you're a good tenant with no plans to move at all, you're the most vulnerable to getting a really bad deal. We only represent our clients, never landlords, so we have no conflict of interest. We stay on your side. 
call me, Scott McMurrian, at 210-535-7800, and we'll negotiate from a position of strength. BottomlineRealtyAdvisors.com Bottomline Realty Advisors We get the landlord off your bottom line Join Barry Bass every weekday morning for the KSLR Morning Ministries, including Through the Bible, Renewing Your Mind, Truth for Life, and Focus on the Family. Weekdays from 6 to 10 on AM 630 KSLR and KSLR.com Yes, living, dying, let me Listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Well, get on the air, Soapy, if you're listening to that. Thanks for for being with us tonight, folks. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. If you want to call in, and we were just putting out some questions for you to answer. Uh, Jacob mentioned one question from the Book of Chronicles, and please, uh, Scott, do not go away. All right, we're going to come right Scott, to you. Let's get a couple not more questions. Go away. Now. Yes. David received something directly from God and passed it on to Solomon. What was it? That's found in First Chronicles twenty-eight nineteen. I think you got to say it like this. What was it? What What was it? I've been listening to those. I've been listening. My grandson listens uh, to these British cartoons, uh, uh, and it's making me get a British accent a little bit. Oh, you should hear him talk. He, he comes out talking like a British, little British boy. Sometimes it just it just kills us. We all think, oh my lens. We watching. He's watching too many of those cartoons. Jacob, go for uh, it. Let's okay. get another I'd like question. To do the number two question. I'd like there is number two is your number okay. twelve. Uh, Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem on the mountain where Abraham had almost sacrificed his son Isaac many centuries before. Mm. What was the name of that mountain? And I think that's a very interesting passage because people ought to know that. And also uh, that that there are other references. Yes. Wasn't that the mountain that uh, Abraham bought from... Um, from some fellow? Uh, David. Are we on it? Oh, yeah, David bought it. Yeah. Is that the same mountain? Yes. I thought it was. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, we'll have fun talking about that. And let me ask this question because I just think I want, I think pe- maybe it's a question people will know the answer to. What queen, <laughs> <laughs> what queen visited Solomon and inquired about his people and his God? What queen made this famous visit that we read about in Second Chronicles chapter 9? And, of course, if you saw the movie. <laughs> it's also a movie made. Hollywood picked up on this as well. Uh, but what queen visited Solomon and inquired about his people and his God from Second Chronicles chapter 9? So if you can answer any of those, we'd love to hear from you. Right now, let's go quickly to our last and talk and visit with Scott. Hi, Scott. How are you tonight? I'm doing good. How are y'all? We are doing just really well. What a beautiful time it is here in South Texas. We're getting so much rain, and everything's green and lush and beautiful. And, uh, uh, you know, life life is good. Ministry is good. People are coming to know the Lord, growing. God's people are strong and healthy. I, I, I don't know. I just feel really optimistic and positive. In spite of all of the, the you know, the hand-wringing, and the, there's a lot of anxiety in our culture today, and uh 
in spite of that, I, I still think God is still at work, and he's, uh, he's guiding, and, and uh, it, it ain't over yet. I, I think God's going to do something wonderful. He is doing something wonderful in our city and in our nation. I, I'm, so I'm optimistic today. How about you? How are you looking at things? Oh, man, we serve a mighty big God. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> well, I got an answer for you. You have a question? You want to answer a question? Or maybe a question I got a, the prayer I got that uh, was asked earlier? I got an answer uh, to the, one of the questions. Uh, God's going to render judgment on the little gods, or gods with a little G. Interesting, interesting. Uh, now you're getting that right out of the. Let me go to that passage. Because it could be exactly what you may be going a little deeper into the uh, the language of that. That's not the answer we have here, but it might be what, actually. What number is that of yours, Sophie? Uh, it's number uh, number four in the uh, Psalms questions. Right. Uh, and the little gods with the little. He's he's appealing to linguistics, Jacob. So that's your yeah. That's your uh, actually. I know uh, he's he's technically right, and it is a choice of words. But we can talk about Psalm it. Psalm eighty-two. My version uh, uh, reads, and of course it's an English version, two thousand years removed <laughs> at least from, from. It says God Sorry, presides. It's, it's a recent text. It's only two thousand years old. <laughs> <laughs> God, hey, that's right. God presides over heaven's court. He pronounces judgment on the heavenly beings. Yes. <laughs> this particular version. In other versions, he pronounces judgment on uh, on earthly judges, uh, which is the answer we're kind of looking for, is that these judges who make all these decisions and uh, so on that... It, you know, you got to be careful about being a judge because what is it you always tell us that passage that talks about if you judge others, you'll be judged by that same. Yeah, if you make up your own standards, in other words, yeah. you'll be judged by the next guy that makes up his standards. Yeah, exactly. If you if, if you judge others by apart, not by the Torah, by God's standard, but by your own standards, then next guy comes along is going to judge you by his own standards and so on. So it's a, it's a very interesting take on that passage about judge not or you will be judged and, by the same Scott, standard. I'm fascinated. So the, the, one, the version you're reading actually uses the word gods with a small g? Yeah. Yeah, that's the NIV version. Okay. Oh, NIV. Oh, okay. Yeah. Little, little yeah. g gods. Uh, what does it say in the Hebrew? Does it have it? Uh, actually, uh, it does say... Uh, as you might say, small gods, but it'd be Elohim, but El- El- which is plural. But it does translate to gods, but it means judges. Judges. Now, Elohim. That, uh, uh, excuse me. You just brought up a topic. Yeah. Elo- isn't Elohim plural? It, it's possessive plural. But it's plural. It we, is, we, we're, we're talking about the, the, is, idea, the plurality is, of the yes, Godhead. Well, I, I and so pick on. up immediately what you're wanting. <laughs> and it is possessive plural. Sure. Oh, interesting. interesting. But, well, uh, yeah. Okay, well, but we're going to give you, uh, let me see. We're going to give you credit for a great answer there. You did come through with what we wanted to hear. And uh, so we, we give you a part. And we have a prize for you. We'd like to send you, if you don't mind, we'd like oh. to send you a couple of tickets to Splashtown. And. Maybe you got some grandkids or some folks, or maybe you and the wife want to get out and enjoy the uh, sometime this summer. Get out and enjoy a, a day at uh, Splash Town. We, we'd like to make that gift to you for calling in and being part of the program. 
Hey, maybe we could find uh, some dry cleaning coupons from Rose Cleaners and well, we anything else back. we can pull up around here. Uh, okay. we'll, we'll try to put together a little package for you. Is that all right? Well, I'll tell you what. I, I would rather be like the gentleman I heard uh, not too long ago. I would like to bless somebody else with that. All right. We will definitely do that. Uh, at the end of the summer, we usually, uh, before the place closes, of course, we try to find an inner city ministry that works with young people from the inner city and their families that maybe couldn't go necessarily to a day at Splashdown. And we, uh, we do that. And so we'll, we'll make some of those gifts available to them in your name, Scott. So thank you Amen. very much. Amen. Thank you. Very much. Not a problem. God bless God you. Thanks for calling night. in tonight. Thank you. Uh huh. Bye bye now. You can do the same thing. Uh, as Scott did as, as, uh, um, Bob, before him, give us a call, 340-9585. <clears throat> we did get our question there that uh, judges are going to be held yeah. responsible. <clears throat> so it's, you know, might maybe be able to think of it, think about it very deeply before you want to be a judge, right? Uh, you're going to be, uh, you have an added responsibility. Uh, let me give another question from the Psalms, and then I'm going to get Jacob to... Uh, and in particular there, he talks about unfair, unjust judges, I think, in that passage. But here's another question from the Psalms. In Psalm 84, it talks about a valley of weeping. And it's mentioned, and, and it, it's mentioned as a place that one passes on the way to worship and grow stronger in the Lord. But if my understanding, and Jacob may uh, correct me here, no such valley has ever been identified. Is there a valley called the Valley of Weeping? And so what could the Valley of Weeping symbolize in our lives? It's a, it's a place that one passes on the way to worship, on the way to perhaps to Jerusalem, to the temple, uh, to grow stronger in the Lord. But no such valley has been identified and I guess we're giving you a little freedom here to interpret. What what could the valley of weeping symbolize in our own lives now as God's people, as, as believers? All right, Psalm chapter 84. What is the valley of weeping? What could it mean for us? Is that too broad a question, Jacob? Is that dangerous? No, I think that's just, just broad enough. Okay, all right. Well, then that, there we have it. You've got other questions out there as well. David received something directly from God and passed it on to his son Solomon. What was it? Maybe you can discuss that, that how Solomon became the king. Oh, David. I have plans. Okay, after David. Uh, that was always interesting to me. Uh-huh. And then Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem on a mountain where Abraham had almost sacrificed his son Isaac. Some people don't know that that this this mountain is very prominent in in the, the scriptures. Sometimes it's called by different names. I think. Yeah, because things change names. That's true over the, the centuries. And but this find mountain, the answer in uh, what Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles three one three one. What is the name of that mountain where Abraham almost uh, sacrificed his son Isaac, or you might say he did sacrifice him at least in his attitude. His he. He willingly laid him down and was gave him away in a sense. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure you're going to have a perspective that'll well, help us on that. Well, the spot too. it comes from, if anybody's really interested, right. is Genesis 22:2. Genesis 20. Okay, look at that. And then finally, this question: What queen visited Solomon? Made a rather famous. Uh, what would we call it in today's terms? International foray. You know, like our President Trump just 
went uh, on a big uh, international uh, travel meeting with world leaders and so on. Well, this queen visited Solomon, king of Israel. Of course, Israel at the time was at their peak of their power, influence, or wealth. Uh, and she visited Solomon in, his, in, in Israel and inquired about his people and his God, it is said. Uh, who was that queen? It's found in Second Chronicles chapter 9, verse 1. So if you know the answer to any of those, you can give us a call, 340-9585. Could we just put out one more question? Please. Okay. I'd like to do uh, number year number 18. Uh, and that is, God told Solomon that if God's people sinned and fell under his judgment, there are four things they could do that which would bring God's forgiveness and healing. What are these four things? And the reference you've got is in the, let's see, that'd be Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles yeah. 7, 14. And when we get to talk about that, I'm going to throw in something else. Well, in that's us. a verse that is quoted an awful lot yes, in, our, in our world. Here. How about... And it, it is your world. It, well, I don't know about that. I'm talking, <laughs> I'm talking about in, in the... Uh, Christian world. Oh, I see, world. I see, I see. Um, <laughs> on planet Earth. On right? planet Earth, okay. What planet are you from? What yeah. world is... No, no, but I'm thinking, is that as prominent a verse? Uh, that I mean, a lot of people memorize it and quote it a lot, particularly when we're talking about the idea of God sending revival to our nation and revive us, Lord, bring right. us to yourself and that sort of thing. It often is quoted as a as a guide that, to bring about God's restoration of our nation, of the spiritual foundations and all. Uh, is it as prominent in, in the Hebrew thought? In the... uh, well, no. uh, I don't know that people memorize it and quote it, but in practice, that's the, what the understanding is. Mm-hmm. That, uh, of course, you know, in the Jewish world, uh, if you sincerely repent, God forgives. And so it doesn't require any inter, uh, intermediary, nothing like that. So the, this passage actually does say, uh, doesn't say anything about a mediator, intermediary. It just says if you repent and you're sincere, and then you, of course, change your ways. The, there's actually a word for it. It's called teshuva. And basically that's considered a couple of different elements. You have to recognize you did wrong. You have to be sorry about it. You have to make uh, recompense if you can. And then the last step is don't do it again. <laughs> and, and if you do, then go through the whole process. Well, again. actually yeah. doing go it back again go, do is a symbol of that you're not really repenting of it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I can understand that. I so. I who struggle with a lot of sins, uh, <laughs> I I kind of get it, and I, 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 oh yeah, we could talk about that. That's an interesting uh, from a spiritual perspective. That's a very interesting. Pro- I think all of us as believers go through that. We wrestle and struggle against certain tendencies or certain fears that we have and certain practices, and we struggle against sure. it. And we ask, "Oh Lord, forgive me," and, and, and we stumble again, and we come back to the Lord, and we're looking for that deliverance and. I tell you, it's really interesting to me how after now a lot of years, 57 years walking with the Lord, I came to the Lord in faith when I was eight. You know, that's when I began my own, at least my own Did you walk journey. with him or before him? I worked, what did you say? With him or before him? Hmm, that's a different You know question. that I've got something here, right? Hopefully uh, with him, but sometimes uh, I get out ahead okay, of him a little okay. bit. You that's know, the difference too. between Abraham and Noah, right? Noah, it says, and this is actually oh, a theological yeah. difference. Uh-huh. Noah 
kind of needed to lean on God. So he walked with, with God. God. Abraham was praised by God because he didn't wait to just lean on a crutch or God. Uh-huh. It says Abraham walked before God because God could trust him to do the right thing. Wow. You know, that would preach. Almost any, any church I know of, that, well, would, that uh, would be. I hate good. to point this out, but it is in the Bible. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, I, do you guys, uh, see, I hate to ask questions. Oh, use like guys. That. Use hey. guys. Uh, do do uh, in, in the Jewish uh, culture, uh, do y'all put as much emphasis on memorizing scripture? Do y'all no? Uh, didn't they, didn't they used to memorize the the book of Deuteronomy? Or uh, children good, good point. Good point. Uh, in Jesus' time, that would be back when he lived. Is what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, the Romans were big time. They had taken things over, and as things got progressively worse, they did ban the Torah. And so what they did is they got it, they kind of got around it by making sure all the children could know the book of Deuteronomy. So they practiced and memorized the book of Deuteronomy. That's actually where the little toy, uh, what is that little toy called? Uh, I can't think of it. It's like a top, but I can't think of the word. I know. It. It's a, oh. Dreidel. Dreidel. Yeah, dreidel, 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 dreidel. I made it out of clay. And if you do the dreidel, the Deuteronomy, you will... Say, so <laughs> okay. anyway, but so so they did the dreidel because it's a way of having letters on it. So when the Romans come by, I say, "What are you guys doing?" Oh, we're and just say, playing with the. Hey, they use the same term you do, you guys. <laughs> you know, because they're now they're in New York saying "you guys," All right. but they were from Rome and they were still saying "you guys." Anyway, so so uh, but they they were using it because it has some Hebrew letters on it to actually teach the Book of Deuteronomy. So. Knowing that particular fact, I've always been curious how it's presented that uh, Jesus' disciples were illiterate. And I know that's the story, Uh but I find that that story interesting in conflict with the facts that all the children were taught the book of Deuteronomy and they memorized it. Now, that, so that always, uh, I, I, yeah. I have trouble reconciling. In that, that era, that was... Uh, that yeah, that's was, how they uh, did it, because the Romans eventually, initially the Romans did not do that. Mm-hmm. But as things got more and more rebellious, cause they didn't like it because the Jews wouldn't declare Caesar God, that kind of thing, as the Christians did not. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so then they, and they wanted taxes, and they wanted to change things. So eventually the Romans, copying what the Babylonians had originally done, uh, passed eventually passed the three ancient Babylonian laws that one you couldn't it was a death penalty to, to one have the Torah two circumcise your boy children and three have a calendar have nope. a calendar yeah, you yeah do I get it do I remember it because see if, uh, then there's nothing nothing to distinguish you from the rest of the world and the uh, and the Romans mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so. Yeah, and you'll find that actually, like in Luke chapter 6, where it says he opens a place and finds a place, it says, but he reads from mm-hmm. Isaiah. He doesn't chapter 6. Read, yeah. yeah, but he doesn't read the Torah. The first time I ever read that, I said, well, something's wrong here. Or somebody, the writer here just wrote down what really happened, that the Torah had already been read. Then later on, when I put it together with the Roman law, I said, no, he was doing exactly what the Roman law was. Because they if, didn't allow them to read from right. the Torah, and, and every uh, just for our uh, our unknowing sure, Gentile sure. friends or sure. Christian friends who didn't know this right. that that every boy I, I might no, get this it, wrong in the Jewish world yeah there is a passage is it for every day or every no, Sabbath for every portion of the Torah 
the, and there's a portion that's read. So all the Jews read on the, every day of the year or every Sabbath. Every Sabbath. Okay. So, so but it goes for the whole week. Uh-huh. So, uh huh. So every Jew's always on the same page wherever they're at in the whole world. So, um, well, you, because there are certain passages you read right. on certain Sabbath yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. And there is a portion from the prophets which in Hebrew is called, it sounds like Torah, but it, it's not. It says half Torah, the half Torah, half uh-huh. Torah. Half Torah. But it's not really half Torah, it's a different word. Uh-huh. But in that portion of the prophets, it always lines up and matches up with some portion of the Torah. So if you knew that, and I could tell you the portion of the half Torah or the prophets, and if somebody was listening, they'd think, I'm not telling you what portion of the Torah I'm talking about. But if you know, then you know what portion of the Torah I'm talking about. Okay, so so this portion from the prophets yes, would uh, either clarify or give an example, example or illustrate sure, sure. The, the, the principle from right. the Torah. And sometimes you get it, when you do the law that it says in the Torah, it'll give you an example where things go really well. But then after you do the Torah, the the, the law, you might say, that sometimes you get an example where they didn't do it and things did not go so well. So you get good or bad, but always as an example of the application of that portion. Okay. Of well, so you were referencing there the time that Jesus was back in his his own hometown or, or what? Yes. Bethlehem is where he was born, but he was raised there in Nazareth, mm-hmm. and they gave him the uh, scroll the to scroll. read uh-huh. in the synagogue right. when he was back there visiting, and he read from Isaiah chapter six. I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> and. So you would know, you guys, <laughs> would know what, what place in the Torah that reference is. Uh-huh. Uh, and I think I maybe asked you that before. Yeah, uh, yeah. Do you happen to know what? Yeah, but you're not going to be very happy with it. Oh, I don't, I don't, it my happiness is not really uh, well, I, I, at stake here. Crying but. on the air is not a pleasant thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen, all joking aside. Okay. Really, folks, all joking aside. It is a, ties up to a portion on how to declare war against your enemies that invade Israel. So, in a sense, he's talking to to the Jews right there, and the Mm. Romans are listening, and he's telling them, this is how we get rid of these guys. I'll be. Isn't that interesting? That's very, very, very Yeah, I know. Well, then he turns around and said, today this passage is fulfilled in your very presence. Every time I read it, I think, wait a minute, he's telling them, this is how we get the Romans out of Israel. <laughs> and today is the day. Well, there was thinking, a very clear say? reaction. They they yeah. uh, they didn't seem to be real happy with the message no. that, that uh. particular day. But anyway, that's uh, that that is very helpful and clarifying. But but the Romans had made it illegal to mm-hmm. read or have a Torah. Yeah, that, that, and that was a de- developmental thing. And I Originally, remember you brought in the actual yeah. law that you had researched and yeah, found yeah. from the Romans. Yeah, sure. And you brought in something today as well. Uh, you brought me a seven steps to peace on earth, the seven, <laughs> aka the seven laws of Noah. Yes. Now, mm-hmm. now we discussed this last. We, talked we did. About the we Noah. have talked about it. Yeah. It's Acts fifteen, uh-huh. and it's verse I believe twenty twenty one, maybe twenty two. But in Acts fifteen, it's a fam- famous passage about should they have circumcision? Do the Gentiles have to be circumcised? And James, brother of Jesus, rules, and he says no. Uh, the Gentiles never had to be circumcised, so we're going to uphold the law of Moses. And he quotes, and it's in twenty twenty one twenty two, right there. Mm-hmm. And he says, uh, for in every synagogue where Moses is read every, every Sabbath, 
the Gentiles never had to be circumcised. So contrary to what was going on, I think the, it's pretty clear. Some people were saying, oh, the Gentiles got to get circumcised and come on into the group. Mm-hmm. So they had a trial, and they said, and James said, no. It's been clear historically in Jewish rules that Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. So it was... <laughs> It was circumcised. That was, that was the big hurdle that people didn't want to necessarily. I mean, I could understand well, it in a way. You might say, humbly speaking, that it certainly was not an item for recruitment. No, no, it didn't. It <laughs> made it a little. Yeah, I, I got to do what? <laughs> if that were a requirement, I suppose there might be a, a, a fewer. Uh, but okay, so the point is, is that they appealed to the Noahid laws, uh-huh, the Noahid laws, not yes. the Mosaic law. But yeah. ba- back to, and said, when he's referring to it in Acts fifteen, he's saying Moses never said they had to, uh-huh. and so he's up. James is not creating a new world that Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. Mm-hmm. He's upholding the ancient law. Well, what I gave you today is mm-hmm. the ancient law. So that they, uh, there are certain, and he says, don't uh, mm-hmm. eat uh, meat from, uh, right. don't, strangled, don't eat the yeah. blood uh-huh. or uh-huh. animal that's been yeah. strangled. Sure. And frankly, I like these these seven pr- principles because they, they, it doesn't come out this clear to us. Well, yeah, and but the interesting thing is I could call a rabbi in Australia, Korea, or, you know. Anywhere. Uh-huh. Yeah. Even Sacramento. On yeah, on earth, yeah. Not, not, uh, not and they, I'd say, hey, do you know the Noah laws? And they say, sure. And i say, what are they? And they'd say, well, that's the... Da, 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 da. Would they, and they would go through that list. Well, let me give you guys this list. It says, be true to your image. God created mankind in his image and not the other way around. Darkness begins when we confuse his light with an artificial image or force. Interesting. Is that the idea of... Uh, do not worship idols or yeah. no graven image. Sure. Have no okay. So that's an, uh, against idolatry. Mm-hmm. Be true to your image. Second, we are what we speak. Be mindful of words. They represent who we are. That's why we must not curse in God's name. Our words can incite hatred or inspire peace. So that's part of the no eyed loss. Yes. See, we wouldn't get that out of what we read. Yeah, I realize that. And that's why it's very helpful because I've heard a lot of people explain to Acts 15 to me saying, oh, well, James is making a new rule that Gentiles did not have to be circumcised. And I said, they never had to be circumcised. Well, he's clearly doing that. You can see he's appealing to that from. Right. What is it from the foundation of the world? Yeah, it's always been from taught the, in, in, every, every Sabbath where Moses is read. So they yeah. never had to be the value of the bond of family. Honor the divinity of marriage, uh, the seeds of loyalty, love, and respect that are planted in the home translate into loyalty, love, respect. I would add the word discipline uh, in society. That's because you like to hurt little kids. Oh, yes, I do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, my little grandboy's going to be so I know, he's I know. Be you, so you're spoiled. not that. You, you babysit your grandson all the time. My role is to spoil him. As you, I, you're a granddad. You know that's I our role. But I also know that you've got him speaking British. Well, I, I want to call Tavin, and I'm going to get him on the line and make him tell about his grandpa. <laughs> Don't take life for granted. Thou shalt not murder is the beacon that illuminates the sanctity of human life. When one does not value life, taking the life of another is conceivable. Respect the property of others. You should not steal. It means to honor one's right to property, privacy, and peace. Evil takes root when a person or nation denies others their rights. And number six, show compassion. Be kind to all of God's creations. Do not cause animals to suffer. Every creature has a soul from the family of a pet to the African giraffe. All are equally deserving. I, 
That's an interesting concept. It's found in one of our questions tonight, uh-huh. too, I uh, think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in this world of animal rights and so on, uh, there's there's something to it a little bit. Let me get number seven. Is that Pursue music? justice. Uh-huh. Acknowledge and uphold a system of justice based on these seven steps. Justice is the cornerstone of civilization, the foundation for world peace. What were you going to say? We got 15 seconds. I was going to say, and in the kosher laws, how you slaughter an animal is that's part of the kosher law, so they don't experience pain. All right, don't go away. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. This is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Uh, we are back. This is our final segment for the Bible Live, the quiz show here. You can give us a call if you'd like to be a part of the program. Either answer some of the questions that we put out there on the, on the uh, airwaves for you. Or you can call in with a perspective, with an idea, with a thought, with a question yourself about the Scriptures, about God, about what it means to know Him, walk with the Lord, and experience God in our lives. Uh, We'd love to just visit with you about it. That's the theme, the basic theme of the entire Bible from beginning to end uh, is the idea. It's not just a bunch of stories, and it is, yes, indeed, it has to do with how we should live here on planet Earth as God's people. But it's also about the idea that God is calling out a people for himself. I will be their God. They will be my people. And we're to go. We're to. Uh, it, it's more than just our earthly existence where the plan is that we will spend an eternity with our God and with each other, with the people of God. You know, just an amazing, amazing uh, perspective of the scriptures. Um, but uh, and we're making our way through them. We, we have a reading program that. Uh, we would uh, call out to you and encourage you to con- read with us. If you'd like to go to our website, thebiblelive.com or soapydollar.com or any of the <laughs> kind of almost any of the number of different titles or names that we use, you can find the reading schedule there. And, and uh, maybe you'd like to make your way through the scriptures with us uh, each year. So uh, right now we're into the books of First and Second Chronicles and uh, having some questions for you tonight from those books and then also some reading from the Psalms and the Proverbs. Each day's reading includes uh, what we call the the um, uh, worship. Um, what's the words I'm looking for? The worship Psalms, uh, and so we read from the Psalms and the Proverbs in those in that particular segment. So we ask you some questions from so them as well. You've read the book of Proverbs. Proverbs. <laughs> Proverbs. Yeah, I've wondered where it happened. Converbs. To the, uh, sorry, yeah, what happened I to the converbs? I, I'm reading you like a book. I've got you figured out yeah, now. The converbs. Uh, converbs. Oh, that's all right. Listen, uh, let's use this last segment, Jacob, uh-huh. to talk about some of the questions that you brought up because you always bring up passages that are very mm-hmm. interesting to us, and they, and you come with that, again, with that, that perspective that helps us often it really corrects or deepens our understanding. So go for it. Well, okay, look, let's, let's do number 18. Uh, where God told Solomon if God's people sinned and fell under judgment, there are four things that they could do to get forgiveness and healing. And that is uh, found in uh, 714 of Second 
Chronicles. And a lot of believers would know that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive Uh, their sin, and heal their land. It's a beautiful passage. It has a remarkable, uh, just it's... It's just beautiful. It, 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 it is. It hope. And, and right after that is one of the things I was adding. Okay. So to continue on in uh, the same passage, because that was 14. Uh-huh. And then in, in 16, 17, it goes on and says, As for you, if you walk before me as your father David did. Now he's talking to Solomon now. This is personal, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Okay. And, uh, and all that I have commanded you in keeping my laws and my statutes, I will establish your royal throne as I promised your father, David, forever. Now, what's interesting about this, this is subsequent to um, after Solomon finished building the temple. That's, that's actually yes. uh, when uh, in chapter 7, 2 Chronicles, is when he's pr- he had finished his praying. But let's look at his prayer. This is at the dedication ceremony uh, of the temple, the, right? The temple is built. Uh-huh. And so he's saying a prayer. But what, when he finishes the prayers, or we just looked at, but let's look at the words of his prayer. Okay. So actually. Oh, it's magnificent. He, yeah, for one, is full of incredible worship. Yeah, but look what he says, and I I hope we have enough time to clear this Uh up. But he says, now he's praying, Solomon is, Uh and he says, And now, O God, Lord of Israel, keep the promise you made to your servant David. That was Solomon's father. Uh, There will never lack a descendant sitting on the throne before me, on the throne of Israel, provided your descendants watch the way they walk in the path of my Torah, as you have walked before me. Now, O God, Lord of Israel, confirm that promise you have made. Now, that's actually his prayer. Now, what is that passage? Uh, that's It's the, in Second Chronicles. Seven, no, the, no, right the, after 14. No, right. This one I'm reading is the prayer, and it occurs in 6, okay. 16, and 17. Okay. Now, so during his prayer, he's reciting something. And he's reciting a passage that David had told him. Now, I'm sorry, I don't have that with me, but perhaps you could look at it. It's in, in a, what he's reciting, the First temple. First Kings 2, 4? No. Mm-hmm. For, okay. No. Uh, it's Second Samuel seven fourteen, And Second uh, Samuel, second. Second uh, Samuel seven fourteen. Interesting. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. Second Samuel. Yeah, I know. I thought you'd catch that. Uh huh. And it's almost like somebody planned it, isn't it? Uh-huh. But so anyway, so during the prayer after the temple is built, because what we read in seven fourteen in the Second Chronicles is that's the concluding. He's concluded his prayer. But during his prayer, he says this to God: "You told your servant David. Now, just I've done what you said. Keep the promise." So he just recited what the promise was. Let's go back and take a look of what exactly David said was the promise that he got from God and told Solomon in Second Samuel seven fourteen. Could you read that? Yeah, sure. Um, Furthermore, the Lord declares he will make a house for you, a dynasty for kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring. I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name. Uh, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would. But my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me 
for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. Okay, but look what so he said. So this is what the prophet Nathan tells uh, well, David, this right? is what, no, this is what David is said, God said to David, and David is telling Solomon. So that's where it's transmitted. And he says, look, if you walk in, I guess your version doesn't use the word Torah, but he's saying, if you, you, if you follow my Torah, Solomon, you will be a king, but you'll also be the son of God because you're mm-hmm. following my Torah. So this is what God told David. And uh, David David's telling Solomon. Solomon. Mm-hmm. And then we, when, the first thing we read is where Solomon during his prayer is repeating it. Mm-hmm. But he adds the part about now keep your promise, God. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. fascinating, isn't mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this. The, the fact that he would say that in a public uh, gathering right, right, right. before the uh, assembly of, you know, the, yeah. of, of Israel and so exactly. on, dedication, so, so. does that mean that that promise... They would understand that that sure. they that, sure. that promise to David had become more or less common knowledge. Yes, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. So and so, Sol- David got it from God, as the story says. He told Solomon. Solomon, during the prayer, re- repeats it out loud to everybody. And before he starts praying that in First Chronicles twenty-eight mm-hmm. and verse um, six, David. This is First Chronicles. This is David again. And it's mm-hmm. the same thing we read in Second Samuel almost. It's 28.6. He said to me, your son, he's talking, God talking to David. Mm-hmm. Your son Solomon will be the one to build my house and my courtyard. You notice how similar it is back to Second uh, mm-hmm. Samuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for I have chosen him to be a son to me. God is saying I've chosen my Solomon son. to be mm-hmm. my son. And I will be his father. Ah. Now, so, back, oh, my land. you're, you're catching what I'm driving at, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, so, I don't know if I catch what you're driving at. <laughs> well, but you're, ca- you're catching something. Yes. Maybe uh, cold. cold. Yeah. So, anyway, so, what's, so what's going on is, at this time, they were saying, you had to be a biological descendant in the house of David to be a king. Mm-hmm. But because you're a biological descendant does not make you a son of God. You had to be the son of David, and to be a son of God, you had to follow the Torah. Follow the law. You have the laws of God. Uh-huh. Obey the laws of exactly. God. Exactly. So, you could be a king, but you might not be the son of God. Now, so this was the meaning back then. Now, well, I, let me let me read that just right after it. It says, and if he continues to obey my commands and regulations as he does now, I will make his kingdom last forever. So now with God as our witness and in the sight of all Israel, the Lord's assembly, I give you this charge. Be careful to obey the commands of the Lord your God so that you may continue to possess this good land and leave it to your children as a permanent inheritance. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're exactly, it seems to be exactly what it's saying. So so what we got is, first we looked at Solomon's prayer, Uh and we've seen it's almost a quote with the addition of, now God, keep your promise, you promised. And then we went back and looked at what David said. From God to Solomon. Now, one of the things that could arise is, well, we say, wait a minute, if that's a son of God, is that a contradiction of Jesus being the son of God? Well, in that would not be the case, because in the Christian ancient literature, uh, which I've been looking at, they they do not dis- they absolutely do not d- dispute. That Solomon said from God, or got from God, from David, that this is how he was a 
son of God, a biological descendant of David who kept the Torah, son of God. Mm-hmm. All the early Christian writings support that because it says that. It doesn't mm-hmm. say anything else. But that they took the position that when Jesus was born, it had a different additional meaning. And the first one they used was in Psalm 2, 7. And maybe you could read that because I don't have the one. Oh, yeah. Is that the psalm that Jesus quotes in Jerusalem that last week of his life he talks to them about? Yes. Oh, is that it? Psalm 2-7. Yeah, but 2-7, just 7, because I want you to, because there's one word there that they absolutely took to mean something different. Okay. 2-7 says, in this particular version, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today Today I have become your father. Now. What in the what I found in the ancient Christian literature, and it was fascinating to me. They can't dispute that the son of David, Solomon, and his descendants were a son of or the son of God because they obeyed the Torah. But they took that psalm and they said, "Look, they use the word today." So the question became, "What does it mean today?" today mm-hmm. The word today. Well, if you look over in Acts thirteen, verse thirty-three. Paul explains what today means. Mm. And after you read it, let's talk about it for a minute. See, that's what you guys do so well. You connect these passages, and and, and it's not a false connection. I mean, I'm sure Paul did this on purpose. He he was referencing. Well, sure he was. He knew what he was. He's been around. He's he's been around. All right, this is wonderful. Okay, so, so I'm Acts, in Acts 13. 13.33. Just read that verse and look what it, and he's going to tell us and explain. <clears throat> what the word today means. Yeah. <clears throat> 1333 says, oh, yeah, he actually references that verse. Well, there you go. Now we are here to bring you, and now we are here to bring you uh, this good news, uh, Paul is preaching. The uh, promise was made to our ancestors, uh, and God has now fulfilled it for us, their descendants, to us, their descendants, the Jewish people, by raising Jesus. This is what the second psalm says about Jesus. The second psalm, yeah. You are my son. Today I have become now, your father. Let's catch it right there. Just freeze right there for a second. And what day is that? Right. It would be, He look what he's saying. He said, today I raised you. In other words, from the dead. So he, Paul himself is explaining that this is raising from the dead is the idea of what I found reading the ancient Christian literature is Raising from the dead is the day, physically raising Jesus from the dead, and that mm-hmm. was the day that Jesus was, his coronation, he was crowned uh-huh. as the Messiah, as mm-hmm. deity. Mm-hmm. Now, somebody might come back, as we talked about, and said, well, wait a minute, he was always deity. See, and as the yeah. position I'm saying is, is that like the king of England, the king and the queen, they have a child. The child is always made up of father and mother. And so Jesus would have been always made up of, as the story mm-hmm, says, mm-hmm. God and Mary. Uh-huh. So that's always there. But when did he get crowned? When was the coronation giving him the crown? Well, just mm-hmm. like the king of England, the child when is he made up, but he doesn't become the king till he gets crowned. Crowned, yes. So what happens is Paul is actually saying that, look, he was a physical man on earth. Mm-hmm. But when he resurrected from the dead... As it said in the second Psalm, today, well, what day? He's saying mm-hmm. today was the resurrection when I raised you. He's saying now he's crowned as the deity. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. 
I found that fascinating that the early Christians put those together mm-hmm. and said that today is the resurrection. And I thought, now that's fascinating. So this is even... I'm not surprised because this early Christian was a Jew. So he, yeah. he understood that, sure. that. So what's going on is they never disputed that what we read about Solomon being a son mm-hmm. of God by following mm-hmm. the Torah. But they said mm-hmm. that was at that time. This is the position that Christ, early Christians took. They said, however, there's a second meaning now with the birth of Jesus. And so he is half and half, you know, half God, mm-hmm. Holy Spirit. Fully half, God, fully man, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't know. They kind of all right, okay, that. All right, all right. Uh, so, I mean, you're free to say that, but that's nearly not what they were saying. Okay, okay. So, but, so then, but then he kept that stature. He always obeyed the Torah, which met the mm-hmm. requirement of being. And he taught Torah. And, yes, and he did, yeah. so, but he kept it. Uh-huh. And so that's the requirement under David to be a king. He's a descendant of David and of the keeping the laws, made him a son of God in that sense. Now, but when they took the position that when he was resurrected and his earthly body had died, now his, when he's, his divinity is left over or is there totally, and when it says he was raised, this is coronation day, when he's crowned as the king. Now, and, that was Psalm 2, what? 2-7. Uh, 7. seven. Uh-huh. Oh, man. I mean, that is such a... Uh, and this is the passage, folks, that Jesus actually references. Is this the one where he says, uh, why did God call him my Lord? No, I think that's a different passage. That's a different thing. Yeah, but um, but it's related, I think, somehow. Yeah, oh, it to is, it, it is. And, uh, we, yeah. and, and, and the lines are lighting up, so there's lots of people who want to discuss <laughs> yeah, this. This has hit a nerve. I, I'm looking at also cross-references the passage in Hebrews. Oh, yes, yeah. Hebrew, where it says, I made you a little lower than. Yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. And, okay. and, and Hebrews is referring to Psalm 110. How about that? Yeah. Well, see, I, I well, I, let's see what our listeners have to say because I'm, uh, oh, yeah. I'm interested. I, I, I have a kind of response and remember, to myself. We're broadcasting from Boston. If anybody comes down <laughs> from Boston, okay. Let's go. Let's visit with our friend Lee. He's on the uh, air with us. Hi, Lee. How are you this evening? I am top notch. I'm blessed and breathing. How are you guys doing? You sound happy and and excited and vibrant. That's good. That's good. Well, first of all, tell Jacob he's been absent too long. He knows what I'm talking about. Oh, right. Yes, I, I, he was absent <laughs> hey, um, too long. That's, that's by the way, you will be happy to know that I was born in Boston, where oh. you park your car on Harvard Yard, <laughs> and grew up in Arlington, Massachusetts. Oh, my. So I, I, I missed the. I wasn't listening to the radio. What were you guys talking about Boston for? We don't even know. Well, I was saying if anybody wants to call and uh, uh, try to visit down here, we're broadcasting from Boston. In fact, when I came in, I went down and I parked the car. <laughs> okay, where did you park the car? <laughs> I parked it like three blocks in from Harvard the City Yard. Hall in Boston. Harvard okay. Yard, right? <laughs> in Harvard Yard, huh? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> hey, I got a question. Did Earlier... Um, Someone mentioned that you thought animals have souls. Is that correct, or did I mishear that? You, uh, I, I don't yeah. think so. The Bible what, says so. Okay. The Bible says that animals have souls. That's according to Jacob. So, well, I can. Uh, and I, am, I, I really I be careful per- about contradicting him because he's great at. Well, I've been studying the scriptures. Whoa, I never saw that before. Uh, okay. And I have never seen that in scripture. Excellent. Oh, thank you for the opportunity, Lee. 
Well, he's going to take a shot at where would that? Where would we find that? Uh, actually, idea? when you go back and you look at the stages of creation in Genesis one, uh-huh. you'll find that he made animals living. Now, in the Hebrew, it's not complicated. The animal soul has a name called a nephish, nephish, and uh, and but when you eventually a couple lines later, it actually uses the r- word rock. And then it says neshama. Now, those are three different words, but they all get translated as... Nefesh, Ruach, Ruach, and and neshama. Neshama, okay. Okay. Now, are you still there, Lee? I am. I just watch your language. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. from Boston. That's a joke. But, okay, but so what we got is animals. And listen, I'll tell you, there's a great story about a rabbi in the 12th, 14th century, I forget when. And he had this class he was teaching at a yeshiva. And he'd come in and he'd say to his class, and he'd say, hey, how many people here know that animals are alive? And everybody raised their hand. he said, put your hands down. None of you know what I'm talking about. And so he'd say, and, he, and eventually they got the idea. He said, look, you can be a giraffe or a donkey or a cat or a dog. They're alive. There's something that animates them, makes them alive. They have an animal soul called a nephesh. He's getting that because it says so right in Genesis. But, see, they all get translated to the word soul. So he said, so they, yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. that says. Do you have a chapter and verse on that? Uh, well, I haven't got it in front of me, but I will tell you it's chapter one of Genesis. Okay. I can read that. Yes, you can. Okay. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I've got, we've got two dogs and two cats and uh-huh. all that, uh-huh. but I, yeah. I have. Uh, I mean, I've been in the scriptures for years, and yeah. I've never seen that. But Lee, what do you know the Hebrew what, much more than I do? What, what I don't do know you? <laughs> what do you consider when you when you read the word soul? Uh, this has often confused me because uh, <clears throat> often we're trying to, like when we disciple young men and women, we try to give them a sense of what God is doing in our lives, how He is transforming and changing us, and we talk about. Uh, body, soul, and spirit. You know, with, you know th- how. Uh, what is the difference? You know, the the Bible says that God's word is a uh, a sharp sword, like a div- two edged sword, dividing even to the uh, dividing the quick, even between soul and spirit, and so on. Yeah, it's sure evidently so. it's a a fine line there. But when you think of soul, what what do you think of? What is the? Do you have a kind of a sense of what the soul is, it, whether it's an animal soul or a human? In that sense, what what do you think of it as? Are you asking me or, or yeah, yeah, uh, you, Lee? Uh huh. Okay. Well, I would say that uh, absent from the body, present with the Lord, that the soul is the real person and personality, mm-hmm. and that uh, when when Christ returns, for example, He's going to reconstruct that so that it blends. As I understand, we're studying Revelation at, at church uh, with with the glorified body. Right. But I have, um, uh, for example, there was a uh, a doctor that did experiments on people. He was allowed to wire up both Christians and non Christians, and uh, when the non Christian died, the meter uh, went down to zero. When the Christian died the meter went up and broke the pin at the at the other end but of course the body was there but the soul had gone on to be with the lord hmm. um hmm. you know i'm not a theologian but 
uh, I, I'm a, a, I try to be a man of the word. Mm-hmm. You know, the word says that Christ is the word, Revelation 19:13. Mm-hmm. So that that's my concept. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've kind of wrestled with that myself for some years about, okay, what is that dividing us under? And I've kind of come to the idea that uh, actually the scriptures never really lays it out crystal clear. This is what human beings are, unless uh, J- Jacob in Hebrew well, has a perspective. No, well, no. well, let me say this. When all these words get translated many times, nefesh, uh, rock, uh, neshama, they get translated to English as soul. But I want to finish my idea about the rabbi back in the 12th century. Uh-huh. So he'd say, look. He said, you don't have to have the Spirit of God to be alive. Animals are alive. So that thing that makes an animal alive is what you might call an animal soul. And the word actually in Hebrew there that gets translated to English as soul is nephish. So that actually is giving a different word, but it gets translated as soul. Now, the human being has, when God, they're made in, uh, you know, let us make God in our image, etc., Actually, it says two things, in our image and our likeness. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, and that is the idea of uh, something additional was added to this animal, because we are animals. Yeah. So what it was is, you might say, the spirit from God. And you'll find that in Genesis 2, 7, mm-hmm. when God blows the spirit into Breathed Adam. Breathed into his nostrils. Yeah. yeah. And so he's adding something to this animal he created called a human being. And it's actually in the Hebrew you catch it because it uses the different words. But if they translate everything to the word soul, it's difficult to catch it. But Mm -hmm. you can go Mm -hmm. online Mm -hmm. and uh, and if you like Google Nefesh or if you use interlinear perhaps from the Hebrew. In in, uh, the New King James, for example, the word soul is also used such as in Acts 2.41, then those who gladly received his words were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, you know, it appears in, the, in uh, I think, in the next verse or so. Uh, it says, uh, it does say, just because the music's uh, here, it does say... Some... every soul. Well, of course, there, they're talking about the entire person, the living person. I mean, we could do a word study on that. We'll we'll address this topic again in the future. Very, very interesting. Thank you, Lee, for calling in, folks. Be blessed. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday night here on The Bible Live. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture and is brought to you by Crew Military Ministry. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. That's Box 18888. San Antonio, Texas. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 9.30 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The The Bible Bible Live Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and The Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help crew military minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world.
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.